Welcome to Stallside Podcast. Right, how goes it? It's a good day today. How are you? It's good, thanks. Yeah, so uh, we've got our CEO in today. Yeah, the, the the boss is coming in to talk to us. I hope we're not getting pink slips, but we invited her. Yeah, so. actually, she's outside the office this time. I'm not outside the boss's office. <laughs> she's so. coming to our yeah, office. Yeah, she's coming time. to our office, so I feel there good. Go. So, yeah, so Dr. Spike Pierce, um, interesting, um, interesting career to get to this point. Now she's sort of transitioned from what she was doing to management, and I'm looking forward to her take on the uh, profession and where we're going and where we've been. Yep, she's done. Uh, she's spoken to a few of our clients and done, done some different things. And I thought it'd be good to have her come in and explain it to our audience what's kind of going on in the industry. Yeah, the concern she has really are uh, retention of equine veterinarians and um, attracting people to the profession. I think that's something that not only affects you and me, but actually affects our clients as well. And that because you know we're looking for continuity of excellent service going forward, and we need that's new right. people coming into the profession to do that. Yep. So coming up uh, next, we have Dr. Debbie Spike-Pierce. She's the CEO of Rudin Riddle Equine Hospital, and she's going to talk to us about the status of the equine uh, veterinary profession and uh, what we can do to enhance it and improve services to clients going forward. Dr. Spike-Pierce, welcome to Stallside. Thank you. Good to be here. Good to have you on finally. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. We're very much looking forward to this episode. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, um, I'm Debbie Spike Pierce, and I've been at Rudin Riddle for 28 years. I graduated from Michigan State, 93, worked a year with my father, Standard Bread Racetrack, and then actually I applied for an internship after being out of school for a year, which was a little bit different than everybody else, but I came here at the very end of my senior year of vet school, and I was in awe. I was just amazed with the place, the people, they had so much fun doing what they did and I just fell in love with the place so that's why I applied for an internship and I got one and so then I came down here for a year it was just hospital interns at the time and when I was done you know I always thought I would go back home but I knew I really didn't want to go back home so I, I had applied for residencies I didn't receive a surgical residency which is what I thought I wanted to do um that's mostly from being very involved with equine lameness with my dad on the track. And so I didn't get a, I didn't get a job. And then actually Dr. Bramlage offered me a job and said, you know, how about instead of, you know, working for someone else, how about you work for me next year? I said, okay, which was fantastic. I mean, that's exactly what I would have loved to do. And, and my intent was still to apply for a residency after my year with him, but it ended up being three years with him. And then I was able to build a practice and, um, and am- moved to ambulatory three years after that and was in ambulatory until 98. And then I went into management. So I'm not on the road anymore, which is has its positives and negatives, mostly positives. Actually. Not nine. You said 98. It was after 98 that you went into management. Oh, 18. I'm sorry. There you go. Sorry. Um, so, yes, 2018 is when I went to management. And that's been you know, over four years now, kind of crazy. And that has sped by too. But, you know, people always ask, do you miss practice? And I have to say, I don't. And I think part of that is I still am around horses a lot. You know, both of our girls um, ride and we have a farm, Scott and I do. So I still spend a lot of time with horses and I get to walk around the clinic and see horses. So I still have my horse fix anyway. Mm -hmm. 
So you grew up with standard breads. Did you always want to be an equine veterinarian or were there other things? I pretty much always wanted to be a vet. I mean, I wanted to be around horses. And when I was nine is when I, that decision, I decided, okay, I'm going to be a veterinarian. I, I, you know, thought a little bit about engineering when I was in high school just because of what I found myself good at from school. But I knew I always wanted to do something with horses. And that's what really kept me in the direction of being an equine veterinarian. And But I've never thought of doing anything else in veterinary medicine, only horses. And I, I really couldn't imagine, for me, working on small animal, mostly because I don't feel comfortable. It's it's funny, in school or after school, people would always say, well, how do you work on horses? You know, aren't you scared of them? I'm like, no, I'm scared of dogs and cats. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've, got a, I've got a cat that needs yeah. vaccinated for rabies, and that vaccine's been in my fridge for about two weeks because I'm scared to do it. Yeah, I, I've got, <laughs> he, might, he might rip my eyes out. I've got more scars <laughs> from dogs and cats than any, any horse. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just, yeah. <laughs> I always have an intern come do my rabies vaccination. Oh, well, that's a thought. <laughs> I might do that. So, um, what would you like to talk to us about today? Well, I think there's some. There's a really big challenge coming to our industry and the equine veterinary profession, and it's the fact that we we are losing veterinarians from this profession. And I think we need to look at why and what can we do. What? How can we keep? people coming into equine veterinary medicine because, honestly, at the rate it's going, um, you know, we used to always be about 4% of the vet school classes in the 90s were, were going into equine practice. And that number has dwindled since the early 2000s to about 1% of graduating veterinary students going into equine practice. And that's very concerning because we also have a large population of older veterinarians that are retiring and we're not replacing them at the rate that we need to be. And I think the number I heard at the AAP was four to one. Does that sound accurate that for every veterinarian that enters equine practice, four are retiring? It's, it's close to that. I don't yeah. know the exact numbers. I but think it's, that's the number I heard. It's alarming. And, you know, we really have to think of who's going to be working. And it's, it's not just a veterinary issue. It's a whole equine community issue. You know, who's going to be working on your horses? And how can we make sure that our horses are taken care of? That's what I want to talk about. Okay, yeah. So um, you've defined the problem. What's the solution? Well, there's a lot of things that I think we need to work on. You know, part of it, just veterinary medicine in general is is hard for people. It's hard on people mentally. You know, we just, um, there's, there's certain things that are unlike other professions. And I think it can be very stressful for the individual when you're dealing with either dying animals or animals that you um, can't, help that you want to or or maybe it's a situation where it's economical why you might have to to you know to put a horse to sleep or whatnot and and that's very stressful on on the veterinarian and and it's also that you're dealing not only just with the animal but you're also dealing with a person who oftentimes is extremely attached to that animal and so it's very it can be very stressful and and with that you know we see in if you just look at the general U.S. population, I think it's one in 25 have some form of mental illness or, or challenges. And if you look at veterinarians, it's closer to one to six would have could have suicidal thoughts. And one out of six, that's, you know, that's people around us that have had these thoughts because of 
likely the stress that they are having in veterinary medicine. And, and this isn't just equine. This is small animal as well. And you've probably heard of the group Not One More Veterinarian. Well, we, 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 did, we had them on the show not too long ago, right? It, it, yep. Yes. And it's, it's, a real, it's a real problem. So, so part of it is the mental health and you know, studies for equine, just so you have some idea, um, for women, and this is the, the younger age group, like under 50, I think it was 25% had fair, poor, or very poor mental health. And then for men, it was 18% had fair, poor, or very poor mental health, which, again, those are some pretty alarming numbers. So I think we need to, to think about the mental health of our veterinarians and, and what can we do to improve that. And, you know, there's, there's some other statistics as well, and this is also kind of somewhat concerning, and, and maybe it's not new, but they've just started following it. But the AAP has looked at, how many, so in, within five years after graduation, how many people are leaving equine practice? And it's an astounding 50%. And, you know, I didn't really believe that number. I was thinking, eh, you know, they're just, that's just, they're not, stop, they're not continuing their membership. But then I went back through some old photos when I was giving a talk for our client ed seminar. And in that, you know, I'm looking at different groups of interns and I'm counting who's still in equine practice. In one of the pictures, it was 40%. In one of the pictures, it was 60%. And I'm, I'm like, oh, maybe this is real. And, you know, I think part of it, I, you, they had, um, I know you guys both know of opportunities in equine practice, but that was a, it was really a, a, a charge to get more people interested in equine practice that maybe never had the opportunity to really get interested. And our numbers went way up then, you know, and that was in the 2000s, 2001 to 2010, basically. And the numbers were very strong, but they started dwindling before that ended. And then they've continued to dwindle th since then. And I think a lot of us thought there were just so many people that went into equine practice. That's why we were seeing the big dropout rate. But the dropouts that I'm talking of have been since that time period of the 50% as well. So there's, there's things that we need to be looking at that we need to probably change in this profession to really keep it going and keep people wanting to come in here. It's not, it's, it's not just retaining. It is also attracting. But I think probably first and foremost, we need to retain them. So, so what do you see the issues as being? What are the, what are the reasons that people are leaving? Well, Amy Grice did a – she's a veterinarian who does a lot of work with surveys and, and working with some of the younger practitioners. And she did a survey, and, and basically – the, probably the most common reason why people were leaving equine practice was the, you know, the lifestyle. And it is a lifestyle. And it has been a lifestyle, which I actually, for me, I, I appreciated that because I was able to take my kids with me when I was on call or whatnot. And, you know, I wasn't worried that I couldn't go see a horse because I was able to take them with me. But maybe that's not the way I should be looking at it. You know, maybe the way you should be looking at it is that I should have this time away and I don't think that we always see that. You know, we think that we always have to be there for our clients 24-7. And, and part of the reason we feel that way is for equine, most people have your cell number. You know, they call you when they need you. And it's, it doesn't happen like that in a small animal hospital. You know, they have emergency clinics and then they have primary clinicians. So it becomes a challenge that somewhat we've created. And, but I, I don't think it's one that we can't overcome. By, by any means, but the lifestyle is an issue, the number of hours worked. Um, another issue is on call. 
Um, again, because our clients have our phone numbers for the most part, when you're, you know, you're, you're almost always on call. Even if you're not on call on a schedule, they're still going to call you. But again, that's maybe something that we can change. Um, but it's, it's part of the relationships that we've built and the client being comfortable and confident with whoever is looking at their horses. They're, they're very comfortable and confident with their own veterinarian. So our charge needs to be maybe a little bit of making sure that that client is comfortable and confident with other veterinarians or, or more veterinarians. And there's a lot of um, on-call in, you know, we're, we're a large practice, so it's much easier to, to have um, somewhat of an on-call schedule where there's solo practitioners. I mean, half of the AAP, almost half, 40%, are solo practitioners, there isn't anybody else to call. So they are truly on call 24-7. And with that, you know, you can, things that can happen are that people are starting to form on-call groups, you know, where they're getting with other practitioners and trying to have some kind of relief. But this just, it's not the standard yet. You know, the standard is still that, you know, the client calls you when they need you. Well, part of this is listening to you. The problem is going to compound, though, because... We, we've you've, you've identified the problems, right? But now we have less people coming in. So what that means is more responsibility for the people who are here, more late nights, more weekends until we until we fix that. But equine medicine is like if you ask somebody who their veterinarian for their horse is, they're probably going to give you the name of a person. Mm-hmm. Versus if you ask them who their veterinarian for their dogs and cats are, they're going to list. A clinic, a clinic, yeah, right. And I, th- I think that's, I think that's something that, to, to your point, unique that we have created, and that probably needs to be broken down a little bit, and and we need to train people to to, to trust our colleagues. Well, it's quite personality driven equine <clears throat> practice, and yeah, you're talking about um, getting those on call groups together. I think that's a fantastic thing if you have practitioners in the area that can actually swap swap the um, clients around after hours and be very good about sending the client back to the primary veterinarian the next day. But geographically, I think that's challenging because some areas are re- relatively underserved with equine practitioners. You might be the only person doing equine practice around there. I don't know how those people cope, and I don't know how we help them. So, I mean, it's a challenge. It is a challenge, and and along with not having enough people coming in, I think we actually need more people to be able to disperse this load somewhat. I mean, as far as the on-call load and, and, and you know, if we, if we are in geographical areas that don't have veterinarians, that's definitely an issue. And, and you know, some, some ways it's not something that we're, we're going to be able to solve in every aspect, but certainly we can start to, and especially in a large area like this, but it also takes buy-in from our clients as well as the veterinarians because many of us are used to working every day of the week. When you start not working every day of the week, you really appreciate not working every day of the week, which, you know, I, I think any time a client called on a weekend, you always wanted to go because you want to take care of them. But, you know, we have to learn to build up other people and make sure that they're the right person to be able to cover for us. And we can. Um, so you've identified those problems. Um, what other solutions are there? You talked about hours of work. I mean, there's always going to be plenty of work. You talk about the number of people. We're always short about people. The people that we do have, how do we keep them in the profession? Because you identified that the, there's a certain amount of turnover 
and that's just natural as people age out. But there's also quite a rate of attrition for people fairly early in their career. So talk to me about that attrition and what do you think we can do to retain those people? I think there's several things. One is when you're off call, you're off call. And that is something that we haven't really been able to attain. I think we can with this next generation or or newest generation of veterinarians where they're going to be willing to do that. Now, granted, we have to make sure that it's ready to be done that way, which means making sure that there are people that are confident and competent and can do everything that would be expected of them. Um, But it's not answering your phone. So, and that takes communication with the client to say, okay, I'm not on call. So-and-so is going to be on call. So, so there's a lot of communication that's going to have to go on from that aspect. As far as lifestyles, um, you know, there's, there's practices that are doing four-day work weeks in equine. There are. And they're rotating, but it's the same thing. You have to have it where the client's comfortable and both, are, both parties are comfortable that someone else is going to be looking at your horse. So it's, it's a little bit giving up control, and I think that's hard for many veterinarians that have, have served with these clients for, for years. And it's also hard on the veterinarians, but, or sorry, hard on the clients as well, because they're used, they are used to working many farm managers, you know, six, seven days a week. So it's expected of us. So, you know, we had that the tide's going to turn some, and I think once you get it turned, people will be in a better spot. I mean, both, I think emotionally, you know, mentally that that's, gives them time to that they need for themselves and not just for the veterinarian. I want to say for that farm manager too, you know, if people can start to learn to give responsibilities and give up some of that control, um, not without, not just give it up, you know, train it so that it's there. That would help a a tremendous amount. It's sort of a tough dichotomy when you look at the surveys in that why do people get veterinarians because they're available, that's how they make their choices, and why are people leaving the profession because they always have to be available. (laughs) And so you've got these two conflicting aims butting heads, and I think you're exactly right. Everybody has to accept that somebody else is going to competently look after their animal, and people also on the other side of it as veterinarians have to be happy turning over that client and that patient to somebody else to take care of when they're not around. And veterinarians, I think, generally are fairly individualistic lot and they work really hard and they do like control of the situation. And so it's a mindset that has to happen with the people that are in the profession. So you mentioned about attracting more people to the profession. What do you see as avenues where that can be approached? I think we need to start earlier and younger and I think there's many ways, much like the ops opportunity in equine practice that we had for veterinary students, but I think it's before then. You know, it's before then in high school and even grade school um, age children. I think I just give the example of my girls in Pony Club. I mean, both of our girls are in Pony Club. They're 13 and 16, and they they are told from their friends who aren't veterinarians, oh, don't be a veterinarian. Don't be an equine veterinarian. You won't have time to ride your horse. So... That, I struggle with that because I think you can have time to ride your horse and you should be able to have time to ride your horse. And those are the people that we want to keep in this profession. You know, we want to attract the people that are, are horse-driven as well, maybe some others that aren't, but those people 
have that love for the horse and are going to be fantastic veterinarians. So we need to try to, we need to keep them. We need to attract them. So we need to make it more um, palatable what their future is going to be while they're working. Um, you know, there's there's other people too that we need to look at. I mean, there's many people in our practice. I know um, my mentor, Dr. Bramlage, really was never around horses. Dr. Rude wasn't. Dr. Embertson wasn't. I mean, here's some three major players, and they were never really around horses. And but they somehow got attracted to it. Either they went to the racetrack, they had someone where they're like, oh, wow, this is really interesting. So I think equine can be an extremely interesting career, but we need to find those people that don't have the background too. And I think that's a tougher situation. You know, how do we do that? What do you guys think? Well, population's largely urbanized now. Once upon a time, a lot of people in this country grew up on a farm, right? And I grew up on a farm where I was, and it wasn't horses, it was dairy cattle, but it still had a concept of animal husbandry and, and large animals. Now, the pool that veterinary students are coming from is largely urbanised, and their concept of veterinary medicine is cats, dogs, and other companion species. And so you come, it comes down to exposure. So you mentioned three-storied people in the profession that didn't grow up with horses, and yet they were attracted to the animal post-exposure, or they just actually like the challenge. And so, yeah, how do, how do you reach those people? Well, you got to get back to because you, you talked about 4-H, right? We've got to educate people to know that this, this is a great profession. It really is. I've never got over the thrill of being an equine veterinarian. And, and I, I hear what others are saying, and, and are there things we can change? Yes, absolutely. And do we need to change them? Sure. But at the same time, it's a great profession. And we, we've got to share that message, and we've got to stop the myths that you can't have a life and be an equine veterinarian. It's not true. It's, it's, it's not true. Totally yeah. agree. Because, yeah. you know, so getting to those groups, getting to those kids that are, are interested in horses, some that, you know, maybe the, the veterinary students who aren't, don't understand the animal as well and maybe intimidated, getting them by that and, and knowing that this is, these are fun horses, animals to work on. But then getting those, those younger kids who are interested in horses, who have a passion for them and go, yeah, you can make a living. You can, you can, get up every morning and be with horses and make a great living doing it. Yeah. And we, we got to spread that message. Yeah. And the, and the challenge is actually, um, is reward. Like I tell some people, you know, some people jump out of perfectly good aircraft with a parachute. That's I come right. to work each day. <laughs> it's the same thrill on the way down, right? <laughs> Sooner or later I'm going to land and, and how I land is up to me. And um, this profession took me sort of around the world, but it's taken me to places I never thought I would go. Yeah, I mean, I've been to all, all sorts of countries, met all sorts of people. I just never thought it would actually happen. And so, yeah, I mean, the scope to do some cool stuff is there. Right. Yeah, because we get to, you know, I've, I've worked with a couple different Triple Crown winners, mm -hmm. um, Derby winners, mm -hmm. and, and you think yourself unique, but that's not true. You go to the AAP and you talk to veterinarians who've been to the Olympics who get to go, you know, they work on high level dressage horses or or rodeo horses that kind of stuff it's it's it, we get we get to be around some very special animals and and special owners too mm. you know so there, it, it's a great profession we yeah. got to spread that message so what's your elevator speech on why this is a great profession you've seen the things um that are going on you have a concept of what needs to change we're, we're going to the 12th floor we just hopped in. What's your elevator speech? 
It is a great profession. I mean, I'm much like Bart. I mean, I never felt like I worked a day in my life, you know, when I was, when I was practicing. I do feel like I'm working now. Um, <laughs> Come see me at three yeah, in the morning. I'm yeah. working. But it's, it is a great profession. And so it's very rewarding. And I think for people that have a horse interest that think that maybe they couldn't do it because they won't have time to re- maintain their horse interest, I think that's absolutely wrong. I mean, for me, I rode a lot until, until I had kids. And to be very honest, my kids are what stopped me from riding. Mm-hmm. And now they're old enough where now I can ride again. You know, there's things in life that change what you do, but I don't, I don't think we can blame veterinary medicine on that. I think it's choices that we make. And if you love horses and want to work on horses, this is a profession for you. Yeah, and that's a good point because even in this practice, and people look on it as people that work sort of 27 hours a day, we've got some great polo players in this practice. We've got some people that actually have quite a fulfilling equine pastime and yet still actually managed to work you know full days but actually rewarding days so even here there's shining examples of you can have a great life with your horse and actually um make that your career working on other people's now you you can you have to craft that right yeah but, but you, you do have to make that effort because yeah. you can get sucked in and work, work work all seven days 12 hours a day if you if if, if you don't take care of yourself I, a little bit I think that's where we as a profession need to kind of change set, the message. Yeah, set the bar. <coughs> that it doesn't have to be that way and we can make it far more, you know, attainable and palatable and something yeah. that you want to continue to do. Yeah. Stop taking your phone into the shower with you, I think. It's probably <laughs> and I, th- I think most of us do. Yeah, we do. But again, we're we're part of the I think we've been part of how things have been perceived, but we also need to be part of how things can be. Yeah. So we need to set an example. Right. So, right. Starts right now. It does, and there's going to be a lot of communication that goes with it. You know, because we always have to think of our client. It's not just the horse. There's always a person with that horse. So we need to think, how can we make it right for them, too? And they'll be on board because everybody needs equine practitioners. And if we're going to get them and keep them, we need to change. I don't think we give them enough credit. I think we are, I think they recognize our needs better than we give them credit for if we communicate. Right. Well, I don't think anybody wants to see us burn out because they want the relationship to be durable. And I think, yeah, you're exactly right. If people sort of hear you're going to have some time off, they say, oh, great, what you're going to do? That's great. Have a good time. Come back. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think um, our perception is that we're so driven to work. I think we've forgotten that actually some people want us to last a little bit longer than we really want to let ourselves last. Yeah. One of my friends, I have to tell this real quickly, she was worked for the Department of Transportation, and I would say, oh, I'm going to a meeting this week, and I have continuing education. She's like, why do you veterinarians always have continuing education on the weekends? And it's true. They would have it during the week, you know, so you were really outside of work. Not us. We have it on the weekends. Yeah. So that we wouldn't miss any work. (laughs) Okay. All conferences are now from Monday to Friday. (laughs) No, but it, it is, it's a total mindset mm-hmm. of, of what we've done over the years. And it can change, and it will change, but we have to be on the forefront of it. I agree. Okay. Well, that's good. Um, we will uh, walk away from this table, and we will set about changing things. I agree. We'll do our best. Excellent. Well, thanks for coming in. Uh, we've been talking to Dr. Debbie Spike Pierce, the CEO of Rudin Riddle, about the profession and how we're going to make it sustainable. See you next time.